Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. We are a Southern Baptist church dedicated to seeking the glory of God by proclaiming the gospel in all that we do. If you would like more information, please visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org. pray and ask for God's help. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we draw near and we ask, O Lord, please work in this time, O God. Father, we ask for you to work in such a way that you'll feed us with your truth. You'll show us your glory. You'll uh, instruct us more from your scriptures. Father, in that in seeing these things, we will understand in understanding, we will be transformed the miracles that you work. You tell us your word never goes forth without accomplishing what you intend. Lord, it is our desire that this would not be a time that we merely meet here out of routine. We sit here and sort of enjoy it. But Lord, we, we are asking, oh God, for your kingdom to be built, your will to be done. Uh, our lives to be sanctified, the, the loss to be awakened to faith and repentance. God, we pray that you will grow and expand your reign, um, Lord, over the souls of men. So please accomplish this. We pray for our little ones in the next room. We ask, oh God, that your word will awaken their hearts. Help me, Lord, in, in this job to be useful, I pray. Bless all of us to feed from your word. And then, Lord, we pray, bless us as we fellowship together, uh, uh, watch the baptism, participate in, in rejoicing and celebrating in the work you are doing of adding souls to your kingdom, more worshipers, O oh God. So, Lord, we pray, bless, protect, work. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a section here in, in Romans 10 where we have been seeing the, the human side of salvation, uh, the, the necessity of, um, the, though we know God is sovereign and God is the one who is initiating and stirring his ordained purposes are coming about. There is the necessity for the individual to decide to believe. And we see the necessity then for believers to do the work of engaging in the work of spreading the gospel. But, but I want us to remember how this fits into the, the overall picture uh, of these three chapters, nine through 11. The, the, the question that drives the, the, the teaching that happens through all of this section is, is the question, why aren't Jews being saved? Why is Israel not turning to Christ? This is a question that especially would have been on the minds of the Jewish Christians. We've read the Bible. We see that Israel will be saved, but we look around and it's not happening. Paul, why is this happening? That question is really what drives the conversation through the, all three chapters here. In chapter nine, the first answer and the highest priority answer is given. Not all Israel is the true Israel. The true Israel are the children of promise. Then here's the big reveal. God has chosen who the children of promise are. And God has chosen a bunch of Gentiles to be among them. And he has not chosen all of physical Israel. And then there was a, a preaching on that doctrine of God's sovereignty, God's election. So that's the first answer. The second answer, the second perspective then comes in chapter 10. Why isn't Israel being saved? Here's the second answer. They won't believe. 
And what happens then in chapter 10 is there is preaching and teaching on the human side, the human responsibility of both believing and then of Christians telling that is expounded upon all in answer to this question. When we come to chapter 11, we'll come back to this question and see how that section answers it. But what we have here then in verses 14 to 15 uh, is a section that is uh, the human side of salvation is being preached. And we see then what is involved in the, the telling of the gospel, the responsibility of those who have it to make it known. So I'm, I'm going to divide uh, our time in this study in, into two parts. We'll spend most of our time in the first part. And it is we're going to work through the argument of the passage. So there's a, there's a reasonable argument that he makes. We'll spend most of our time walking through this. And then at the end, I want to take some time for practical application because this section is just um, screaming great deals of, of practical application for us as believers. So first part, work through the argument of the passage. Notice that once again, the Bible is working to convince us of truth by using reasonable argument. It is appealing to our logic. Okay. We, we, we've noted this in all of chapters one through 11. It is one big logical argument with lots of smaller ones scattered throughout. This is only two verses. But in two verses, there is a uh, the, the critical thinking is being called upon. You know, so don't forget that the Bible does this. Ours is the day of memes and tweets, okay? Ours is the day of, you know, if you can't say it in 10 words, I just can't follow you. You're just, you know, beyond me. This is not biblical thinking, okay? Love the Lord your God with your mind, okay? There is a call and we are shown in the Bible that we are to be convinced and then to convince others by means of argument, okay? Not, not, not the mean kind, okay? Spatting between each other, but an argument is in using reason and critical thinking. And the Bible does this over and over again. So what we have here in verses 14 to 15 is an argument of four steps and then a declaration. As we look at these four steps, you know, it's interesting. We can understand it going forwards or backwards, whether you start at uh, where Paul does or go back to the beginning, the sending that then leads to the telling, that then leads to the hearing, to the believing, to the calling. Either way you go about it, we can understand the process there, but we're going to go about it uh, in the order uh, that the Spirit inspired Paul to write it here. And so uh, notice step one in verse 14. Look at it there, the very first sentence of verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Now, in the previous verse there, in verse 13, remember we were told, uh, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That was a quote from Old Testament passage. So we're seeing how this is fulfilled in Christ. The Lord there, so big new covenant revelation is specifically the Lord Jesus. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Okay, so we did some talking about that. This is referring to the, the turning to Christ, the appealing to Christ the prayer of asking for God to save you. Whoever calls out to Christ, appealing for salvation, will be saved. The argument's been made. In this chapter, throughout the whole book of Romans, in order to be saved, in order to be made right with God, and you must be, you no are not okay with him from birth. You are not right with him because of goodness that you think is in you. You must be saved. The only way to be made right with God and receive that eternal life is to turn in faith. To turn that uh, friendly heart of response to the Lord Jesus. And it is the Lord Jesus specifically and cry out to him to be saved. So how can someone do this? if they do not believe. And the, the answer to the rhetorical question is, of course, he cannot. If someone is going to turn 
If someone is going to appeal to Christ for salvation, that person has to believe. Um, in verse 14, the hymn there, okay, is referring to Jesus specifically. This is important. It's not just some uh, higher power generically. We've seen this come up. I think this is the third time in chapter 10 that, that we need to make this specific point that it is specifically the Lord Jesus. And, and we, we've paused each time that we've seen this to make this point clear. This rules out the idea that someone could be saved without hearing of the, the name of the Lord Jesus, without hearing the message of the gospel. Now, when I say that, I, I get it and I hope that your response is, well, well duh. Okay. You know, pastor, why are you spending more than 10 seconds on this? My response is, okay, give it time. Give it time. You are going to hear the argument from the world. And unfortunately, even from many who claim the name of Christian, this idea that surely, surely God is not going to send people to hell who never got to hear about the message of Jesus, because that wouldn't be fair. And God doesn't be unfair. Well, listen, if you've been with us from the beginning, it's been a while, okay? Three years ago, we were in Romans 1, okay? But in Romans 1, we worked through the argument. The, the book actually begins with an understanding of mankind's guilt and why we stand condemned before God. Again, logical argument. But if you're new here, okay, uh, and you've not been with us the whole time, then this still may be a question that, that, that's on your mind. What I appeal to you to do is, is to go back to Romans 1 and read 1, 2, and 3 and read it over and over again. Read it, read it five, 10 times and follow the argument that is used there. All mankind is under the law of God and all mankind knows it. That's the argument of Romans 1. Internally, and it is evident externally. The power of God, the rule of God, attributes of God, and even the concept of the law of God and that we are under that law, it is evident internally. And it is also observable from looking at creation around us. All mankind is guilty before God, not because of anything unfair or cruel, but because we have broken the law that we are under. And that goes for uh, us who are in this room. We were once guilty, but God has the right to show mercy. And this is the plan that he has worked. And so if someone comes to the day of judgment and they are sentenced to their judgment, even though they had never heard the gospel, God has not done anything unkind. He is simply giving justice what justice deserves. He is acting in righteousness. If God wants to go beyond that and give mercy, he has the right to. That is why we rejoice with joy inexpressible. The fact that the, God ordained that the gospel would come to us, we who do not deserve it. But we have to track and understand the logic here um, in what is being made is part, it is a foundational gospel truth. And it is a truth foundational for missions and evangelism that all mankind has revelation from God, but that revelation condemns them. Not all mankind has the message of the gospel. And that is why there is the urgency. That is why there is the burden that we who know the gospel be engaged in getting the message out in heralding that gospel to the ends of the earth. So there was step one. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Step two, verse 14. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? Um, I, I know it seems, you know, just really obvious, but sometimes just slowing down and looking at a passage, thinking it through, it starts to make more sense and its, its, its depth comes uh, into our hearts. How could a woman believe in Jesus if she never hears? She never learns. 
She never reads. The answer is, she can't. She can't. There is a burden for this next step. Step three, verse 14, third sentence. And how will they hear without a preacher? Now let, let's spend some more time on this one. This is getting to the heart of the burden that Paul felt when he was writing this. You and I need to know that the Holy Spirit wants you and I to feel an urgency, to feel a weight of burden that the nations need to hear the message of Christ. We need to live with a regular sense of urgency that souls are dying. Eternity is, is real and there is an answer to mankind's greatest need. For you who are in Christ, someone had to tell you before you heard, before you believed, before you turned. So someone, someone had to obey God. Someone ha had to engage in an act of love. Someone had to come to you and to do something that was uncomfortable and, and to speak. Someone had to communicate. Now it, it says there, how will they hear without a preacher? And so we're, we're going to talk some more about that. You know, you, you may say, okay, well, that's an apply to me. I don't stand in front of people on you know, Sunday mornings, whatever, and do this kind of thing. Understand that this is generically used here to speak of all manner of communicating. Um, and we'll see some of the various ways that that happens. But how is it that you heard the gospel? If you even remember, if you even know. It may be that you heard preaching. It may be that your mama read bedtime stories to you from the Bible. It may be that you had a friend who had a conversation with you. It may be you picked up one of those Gideon's New Testaments and you just started to read and you encountered the gospel from that. You know, even if that last one is the case, you, you could read verses 14 and 15 and be like, oh yeah, well, that, that doesn't apply to me because, you know, I never heard preaching. I read the Bible on my own. Well, un understand, even if that's the case, you read the Bible on your own. Somewhere, somebody gave you the idea that there might be answers in this book. So somewhere there was someone who did the work of translating that scripture into English, like we talked about last week with William Tyndale, and he died to do that. You know, somewhere there were people who, who worked to, to give in order to pass out those copies there. There is a way in the succession of salvation that God has been at work. God is the one ultimately accomplishing these things, but he's using people. He's using his church. So what happens if, if you don't tell? What happens if this church, if we would, if we would all just get really comfortable, we'd look around, feel real smug and proud about, you know, what, what's happened here. We've grown to a nice size and we just like it right here. And we stopped doing the work of evangelism. We stopped pressing. What would happen? Well, what would happen is, is that Jesus would continue to build his church. God's kingdom would continue to advance, but shamefully shamefully, the, the, the line of the gospel would stop here. It would be like a dead end road that, that didn't continue on something that we would have shame about on the day of judgment. You and I must know that there is a burden and an urgency in the work of telling. Now, God has made the church to be like a body. Body, there are lots of different parts, and one of those parts is a mouth. There are those that God has formed in the church to be speakers. God has gifted them for it. He wired them up. He, in his providence, worked so that they had certain opportunities and, and such to develop them into this. Um, in Ephesians 4, and I'm going to reference that passage maybe about three times uh, today. In Ephesians 4.11, in a section that mentions gifts of the body, there are five speaking gifts that are mentioned there. They are apostles, prophets, evangelists, 
pastors and teachers. Uh, all of those roles in the body of Christ are, are mouths. They are speakers. Let me, let me kind of talk through each one of them so that we understand what they are. Uh, first, the apostles. Okay? The apostles were a special office that existed uh, in the days of the, the early days of the new covenant. It is a, an office that carried a special authority and it doesn't exist today. Okay? As you're out and living, you're probably at some point going to encounter someone who says they are an apostle. Walk away. Okay? Not an apostle. Okay? To be an apostle, you had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection. That doesn't exist today. Okay? The apostles had a special function in history. Okay? It is amazing. Their work 2,000 years ago is still affecting you and I. Okay? Not only in that they began a succession of, of preaching and the sharing of the gospel that has continued down through the centuries, but we, we benefit from uh, the apostles' work every single time we open the Bible and we study. They had a special function. They spoke. They fulfilled their role. Next, prophets. Prophets. Uh, were call, called out by God at certain seasons in the Old Testament. By the way, it wasn't all of the Old Testament. It was in certain seasons of the Old Testament. And similarly with the apostles, there was a time that there was a season of God calling out prophets in the early days of the new covenant in order to make some things clear. I do not believe that the office of prophet currently exists. Now, you could disagree with me on that one. It's not worth fighting over. I don't believe that office currently exists. Does the ministry of prophecy still exist? Yes, okay? Because God has given us the word of prophecy in the scriptures as we Christians teach the message of the prophets, their, their words, their mouth still speak uh, even today in that way. But pay attention to these last three. These three are ones that yes, are a regular function of the New Testament church. The next one is evangelist. There are those who are gifted by God to speak, but their knack, their, their giftedness, their talent is in specifically being able to speak to unbelievers in order to win them to Christ. This could come in the form of preaching, so there are those evangelists that are able to fill football stadiums. Praise God. This could come in the form of uh, church members who just have this burden and an ability that they uh, gather neighbors together for evangelistic Bible studies and such. These are uh, missionaries who may travel overseas or it might be a church member who just has that uncanny knack and ability to have conversations with lost people and they're just able to do this in a way that's better than other people. And so I understand with this, this gifting here, there are some gifts that God has given the body of Christ that we're all supposed to be doing, but some people are better at it. Okay. Like encouragement. Every Christian is supposed to be an encourager at some point in some way. But did you know that encouragement is actually a spiritual gift? There are some people who are good at it in such a way that they need to give good time and attention to this kind of thing because they're really useful to the body of Christ in that way. Well, similarly with evangelism, every Christian has some way that we are to be engaging in the work of telling, but for some, it may not be a lot, but then there are those that have the gift of evangelism and, and they do this. Next are pastors, okay? Uh, now pastors, elders, overseers, shepherds, all referring to the same office in the New Testament and the uh, number one priority uh, of work that pastors do is the preaching and teaching of the Bible. So it is the, the mouth uh, part of it. It is important for the church to know it and remember it because we run into all kinds of problems, all kinds of problems when we forget that, okay? It's, it's the number one highest priority job that God gives pastors is the preaching and teaching of the Bible. Uh, pastors have four main responsibilities as I understand the New Testament. Walk with God personally, preach and teach the Bible, shepherding, and leadership administration, okay? 
of those four, okay, the first one, walk with God personally. It's the prerequisite for the calling. Nothing else can happen if that's not happening, okay? But when it comes to the jobs that God gives pastors, the preaching and teaching of the Bible is the highest priority. It is what you want your elders giving most of their time, attention, efforts, and thoughts to. And then lastly, teachers. These teachers, these are teachers who are not necessarily elders, okay? Not pastors. The church needs pastors doing their thing. The church also needs teachers who are not elders, who are uh, working in order to be speakers, to be tellers, to be mouths as well in functioning in this. And so here's my reason, here's my point in telling and bringing all these, these offices up here, these roles up. We need to understand that there are, uh, we, we, we do evangelism, we do missions in a couple different ways. And one of them that is often overlooked is the reality that we as a whole church do the work of missions and evangelism together. There is a way that the church as a whole operates and functions to make the gospel known. The church is the greatest evangelistic method of history. We need to know that. People a lot of times obsess over evangelistic methods and sometimes it just gets insane, you know, uh, all coming up with all kinds of crazy ways to try to do this stuff. The church is the greatest evangelistic method of history. And we need to know that when we are all functioning together, Everybody fulfilling the roles that God has called each one to serving in the gifts. The encouragers are encouraging. Those with the gift of hospitality are operating. Those who have the gift of service, okay? Just referring to all kinds of ways that things just need done in the church. When it's all functioning like it should and operating in a healthy and strong way, the church is able to be the witness. The mouths are able to use their mouths. Those that have that kind of teaching, preaching, evangelistic responsibility are able to go do their thing and the church as a whole functions. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back to this later because this is an important one to grasp, but I, I say it now just briefly so that we get the picture even globally, the, the church functioning together, this is a way that we are able in the most effective way to participate in the work of evangelism. Now that's not the end. Don't let yourself check out, okay? Don't just say, that's my role. Um, I give to the church or I you know, mow grass, clean the building. Okay, there, there is more because individually, Individually, there is a role that each one of us are to play in this. In, in Ephesians 4 there, 11 to 16, I mentioned to you that uh, the uh, roles and offices are explained there, those that are the mouths, and we're told this. It's one of the more important verses of the New Testament where then it goes on to say that it is the work of the pastors and the teachers to do the work of equipping the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So in other words, there's a collective function. There is a way in which we all operate and work together, but there is also individual responsibility. So remember, God did not wire the church up that there are these professionals who stand up and, and give and everybody else shows up to receive. No, it, you may think in some ways more along the lines of uh, coaches and trainers and equippers that we uh, leaders have the job of empowering, equipping, training the body of Christ. And then whenever we all go out our doors, you go back to your house and your house becomes a place of ministry. That circle around your house where there are neighbors, that's, that's your ministry there. And you go spread out to your, your jobs, your, uh, your kids and soccer team, and you engage in, in being a light for Christ and sharing the gospel and serving needs. We spread out in doing this, and this is God's design. So you may not be a 
mouth in the body of Christ. Like that may not be your main function. If it is your main function, we're going to talk about more, give great deal of time and effort to preparation, but you may not be a mouth. But even if you are not, number one, when you do your function in the body of Christ, you contribute. And then number two, there is some telling that God wants you to do. There is some level, some degree of responsibility that you have in telling that God wants you to engage in. There are people that God has put around you and he means for you to be the one who tells them. If you are a parent, you are called to be an evangelist. It is, it is part of the job description. Now there's more, okay? It's not just evangelism and then stop. There's discipleship and pastoring and shepherding and stirring on, but you are an evangelist to your children. If God in his sovereignty designed that you're a Christian and you have a workplace and you share an office with another person and you get to know them. You have a, a close friend that's not a Christian. You need to consider that, that God in his sovereignty put that person in proximity to you so that you would have conversation with them in order to share the gospel. So I, I, I wanna say here in one sense, a, a double message. A double message in that one, a lot of times Christians have some unbiblical guilt when it comes to evangelism. There is a lot of times that the Christians, you know, it's kind of like prayer. I'm, you know, we feel guilty. I'm never doing it enough. Sometimes people think this way in regard to evangelism. If I'm not being Billy Graham, if I'm not knocking on every door in my town, then I'm, then I'm living in disobedience. And I, I don't believe that that is guilt that you should feel. There is unbiblical guilt that can come. But on the same note, I don't want to take away uh, the, the sense of responsibility that when God puts people in your circle of influence, there is a responsibility that we have. Uh, there is a level. Some will do this more than others. But there are those that God wants you to share the gospel with. I, I, I want you to think about, maybe if you have one, a, a close friend who isn't saved and you're pretty sure they've never had a conversation, a real conversation with anybody about the gospel. Do, do you have somebody in your mind? I want you to picture them on the day of judgment. On the day of judgment, they stand before God. They're in their sins. They receive the sentence of condemnation. It's nothing cruel. They get what is deserved. But they're being led away then to the torments of hell. And they get a sense of them knowing what awaits them. And as they're walking away, you catch eye contact with this friend. And you look in their eyes and you see a look of despair. A look of great fear. But might there not also be a look of, why didn't you tell me? If you knew this, why did you not tell me? Christian, there is a responsibility that we have to those that God puts within proximity uh, to us. Uh, turn back to the Old Testament with me, if you would, for a bit. Ezekiel 33. In Ezekiel 33, I'll read the first section here, starting in verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying... Okay, Ezekiel 33, look at verse two. Son of man, speak to the sons of your people and say to them, if I bring a sword upon a land and the people of the land take one man from among them and make him their watchman. And he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows on the trumpet and warns the people. Then he who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning and a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood will be on himself. But had he taken warning, he would have delivered his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and a sword comes and takes a person from them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require 
from the watchman's hand. Now, as for you, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel. So you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning from me. You follow the logic of what is there. Okay. Those that see the danger have the responsibility of heralding, of sounding a warning. God told Ezekiel, you're a watchman to the people of Israel. I am going to give you messages. Your job is to say, you know, Ezekiel was actually to show up at the, uh, show up at, at public places and, and herald the message to the people. He says, if you don't say it, and the person dies in their sin without repenting, then there will be guilt that you have on your hands. All right? Is that something that goes further than just Ezekiel or just prophets of old? Well, consider Acts 20, verses 20 to 26. Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus there on his way to be arrested and he knew it. He says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. So understand, Paul considered this to be a principle that carried further than just the prophets, that those who have uh, a message to speak of warning that would save somebody's life infinitely more important would save their soul, then there is a responsibility. And if we do not tell, then those who die in their sins, they bear the guilt. But that also means that there would be blood on our hands. Christian, there is a burden. There is a responsibility that we have to speak the message of the gospel. If, if preachers Okay, so those who have the job of standing and, and, and delivering the word of God, if, if preachers grow negligent, you know, still talk, but just say nice, uh, nice things that flatter the ears, okay? If, if we do that, then we bear blood guilt on the day of judgment. If parents do not engage in the work of seeking to win their children to faith in Christ then there is guilt, you know, and then there are also those times, you know, again, even if you're not a, a teacher and you don't think that that's your thing, God still, there are these times that he puts these opportunities in front of us, you know, for you youth, okay? In English class, you're instructed to give a speech and the topic is on something that would easily transfer to eternity and the gospel. That's an opportunity that God put on your plate, you're in the lunchroom at work and you hear overhear some folks right next to you talking and saying, I don't know why Christians believe this. And you're right there. Those are moments that God has in his providence put you in that place at that time for the purpose of speaking and bearing witness in that moment. Well, let's come back to 14 to 15 here. That was step three. How will they hear without someone telling them? Here's step four. Verse 15, first sentence there. How will they preach unless they are sent? This work of sending refers to all that is involved. And there would be numerous categories. All that is involved in raising up workers. All that is involved in the work of the church to instruct, disciple, raise up, train, equip, motivate church members to live lives of gospel faithfulness. And the going out there refers to you living your life in a way that is on mission. But sending out would also refer to the churches, all the work that goes into instructing, discipling, training, equipping, and such that then uh, goes into uh, workers, evangelists, elders, teachers who would stay here in this church, raising up more laborers for the harvest here in Ferdinand. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as a church we're operating, but you know, I've said this numerous times, you give me 50 guys that were willing to work. I'll put every one of them to work 60 hours a week. I'll put every one of them to work. 
Because we're not just trying to maintain here. We're not just trying to mow the grass and have a sermon and do the bare minimum. Okay? We're seeking to advance the kingdom of Christ. But sending out obviously also involves the work of the church, instructing, discipling, training, equipping, motivating, exhorting, encouraging, all that goes into raising up those evangelists, pastors, teachers, missionaries, church planters who leave, who leave here and they go out and they expand the kingdom of God in that way. Now, you know, as I mentioned that, I'm sure everybody's, you know, got their mind on the, on the Hickey family, okay? And this is part of what it is. We have to understand that engaging in the work of the kingdom and engaging in this means we have bigger goals than just one church. We, we, we want to strengthen and flourish and bear fruit and expand as much as we can. But if our minds are only here, we're missing this massive part of what it means to be a Christian. We are to have a global vision, kingdom mindedness. Our goal is not just that in one pocket of Southern Indiana, the name of Jesus would be adored and worshiped. Our goal is that the nations will bow to the reign and the rule of Christ. Our goal is that souls from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation it, it receives salvation and enters the kingdom of heaven. And the way that that happens is by local churches, listen to me very carefully, doing more than evangelism. Does that make sense? Doing more than evangelism. Because if we drift, and this is always the natural tendency, is to drift towards negligence. It, it's for the fires and heat of zeal and worship to cool and get lukewarm. If a decade from now, we just kind of drift and get negligent and we stop having that, that kingdom fervor, what eventually happens is that a church can come to a place where they see the need for evangelism, but then they do evangelism and stop. Instead of going to the next work, which is the work of taking these uh, spiritual children, that's what we all are when we first turn to Christ, new believers, and building them, deepening their roots, growing their muscles, uh, growing them in knowledge, equipping them for work so that they can labor here and always working to send more out. We are to keep this goal in our minds. So, so over the years, if we do this, then that means our hearts are gonna break at times. Whenever a beloved church family, we send out and they leave. I can tell you very selfishly right now, I'd love to have a Logan Hickey right now. Would love to have that. But part of the work of the kingdom is that we take really great people that we would love to keep here and we joyfully send them out so that the gospel can go somewhere else to plant a church in Perry County, which desperately needs more gospel work. And in the town of Dubois that to my knowledge has no gospel preaching church in the town or to go overseas and to bring the gospel so that souls will be saved somewhere else. This is sending out. You need to know that there's a lot that goes into that. That doesn't just naturally happen. You know, if, 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 a, if a church is negligent, maybe once every 30, 40 years, God will draw somebody out, you know, because even when we're stupid, God continues to be faithful to his kingdom, okay? But, but if we're gonna do that regularly, there is hard and intentional work that goes into that kind of thing. Jesus modeled for us how to do it. Jesus spent more time with the 500 than he did with the 5,000. Why is that? because he was doing some extra things in the 500. Jesus spent more time with the 70 than he did the 500. What was he doing? He was, there were more potential there and he invested more time. Jesus spent more time with the 12 than he did the 70. Why is that? Because of empowering, training, strengthening, equipping for the work. Jesus spent more time with the three than he did the 12. Why is that? Investing more. You see the pattern there. Paul did the same thing. 
John did the same thing. Timothy, Silas, Titus, this is the regular thing. And this is what churches are to engage in. Okay. Which means this. See why the church does what we do. You, you know, I, I'll, I'll keep saying this over the years. We don't have Wednesday night service because I'm bored on Wednesdays. I have plenty of work to do. We do Wednesdays because there is a world that needs the gospel. There is a world that needs the gospel. And this only is going to happen if we as believers decide I'm not going to stay a spiritual child. I want to grow up and be useful. The amount of effort that goes into usefulness. We're talking 10 straight years of dedicated study to begin to be useful. We, we have these things. We hold discipleship groups. We do Sunday school. I, I occasionally get a hold of men in the church to read through a book with me, okay? We do things like that because we're trying to imitate Jesus and raise up workers, workers who will stay here and workers who will go. You've heard me say this before. I will keep saying it. The church is to be a never-ending factory producing disciples and out of the disciples, leaders, and out of the leaders, some who leave to go to the nations. We are to be raising up evangelists, more elders, more teachers. Some of them will stay here, and some of them we will send out. Jesus taught us to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to raise up workers to go out into this harvest. I don't know what all you pray for our church, but let me ask you to add this if it's not already on there in the list of things. And I hope there's a long list of things you pray for this church. Pray that God would raise up workers. Pray that God would raise up workers for this harvest, but also pray that God will raise up workers who, who, who we will send out to the nations. And, 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 you know, when it comes to Praying for workers, you know, that, that's not just mouths. Do you, do you understand that the, the elders who might replace Pastor Ben and I might be little boys in this church right now? Work that you do to encourage them might lead to them growing up robustly in Christ. If that doesn't move you and excite you, <laughs> wake up. This is the kingdom of God. Okay? When we're all functioning as God wants us to, there is a flourishing that comes in fruit that will come. All of this is involved in the work of sending, sending, discipling, training, teaching. Another aspect of sending, and I, I hate to say it so briefly because it could have its own sermon, uh, is the work of financial giving that is involved so that workers can go. So it's just a reality. If hikis are going to go be useful, okay, we don't have gospel robots who aren't consumers, okay? This is the reality. It's people and, and their uh, resources are needed in order to send. This is a way that we participate and sending involves also the praying for them, encouraging them, ongoing supporting of them uh, that happens there. So four steps, now notice a declaration. A declaration in verse 15. Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Paul's actually paraphrasing a verse from Isaiah 52. It's my intention to look at that passage later in another sermon because it connects with something he's gonna say later in the passage. But notice that feet, are not beautiful parts. That's not just like my one opinion, okay? Middle Eastern culture, uh, feet were considered dirty, gross parts. You might share that sentiment. In Middle Eastern culture, to throw a shoe at someone uh, was a sign. Uh, it was a tremendous insult. It was a degrading uh, act because of this. And so for the text to say that their feet are beautiful, is really saying something. There's something being emphasized here. The church is like a body. There are hands, there are ears, there are mouths, and there are feet. Those who go. 
Those who go, those who travel, they bring the gospel with their feet. What it means is that those who bring the gospel are precious. They're precious. Their feet are beautiful. Their lips bring life. They are precious, life-saving. They are beautiful in a way that actually matters. Okay, because remember Proverbs 31, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. It's a waste of your life uh, to give great amounts of attention to pursuing physical beauty. Why? Because it's gone in 10 minutes. Doesn't even last your whole time here on this planet, okay? Pursuing physical beauty, waste of time, okay? But there is something to eternal and real beauty. Give attention to that. Listen, when we all come to the day of judgment, and all mankind, the saved and, and the unsaved, we, we in a sense, our, our minds are given the ability to comprehend eternity. And we, you know, in a figurative sense, look out at an open horizon of an infinite number of eons yet to come. We will understand what is valuable. We will understand what has weight and is not trivial we will understand that what is truly beautiful, beautiful in that realist sense, we will see that the callous, scarred, dirty, sandal-wearing feet of Philip the Evangelist is a beautiful thing. We will see that those who sold land to get on a plane and fly across oceans that was wise. That was the pursuit of beauty. We will see what actually matters. Those who bring the gospel are to be regarded with tremendous honor. You should think of missionaries highly. You should think of missionaries a lot higher than what you think of presidents, even if it's the president you want. You do realize, uh, I think I said this on the day that we as a church met together and we prayed over the Hickey family before they left. Uh, if Logan Hickey were to leave his post now to become president of the United States, he would be stepping down in office to sit behind that desk. We are to regard missionaries in that kind of way. They bring the message of the gospel. Their feet are Beautiful. So those were four steps in a declaration. Now let's spend a little bit of time on some application. Some application. Let me, let me first of all address, if you are new to evangelism, you're new to doing this. It doesn't necessarily mean you're a new believer. You could be saved 20 years, but, but still be new at evangelism. And you say, I just don't know where to begin. I don't know where to start. Let me, let me, let me, mention five things you can begin this very week. This very week, you could begin to implement these things to contribute to the telling of the gospel. Number one, invite friends and family to church, okay? There's a whole lot more that will be uh, called to us, but not less. There's speaking involved, but even this shouldn't be scary speaking. Invite friends and family to church. Moms, round up your kids as friends. Number two, always have a list of people of lost folks that you are specifically praying for. Don't ever let there not be a group of lost people that you're praying for, not praying for. Number three, find a ministry and start helping. Start helping. I'll camp on this one just a little bit more again. Most ministries need legwork that is not teaching. And that includes the church as a whole. You know, it just takes, there's a lot of moving parts to all of this. There's an enormous amount of work that goes into the whole collection of what happens, you know, in this local church. And, and if you call this church home, if you are a member, you call this church home, you need to know God expects you to join in work. And we expect you to join in to work. Uh, nobody's good to clean toilets. Nobody's too good to mow grass. Next week is my turn in the nursery. Okay. Like it takes all of us joining in to do this work of engaging in the work of the body of Christ. And anytime somebody joins, 
you know, we have, a, we have a series of conversations about membership. We have the conversation, what is membership? Is it biblical? Why should I be a member? And then we have this conversation. It's one of the meaningful ones. What is expected of me uh, as a member? And there are a number of things that we, we talk about in there. And one of them is we try to make crystal clear, we expect you to find some way of filling significant needs to join in the work that is here. Because that's what we see in scripture. We expect you uh, to jump in. This isn't like the megachurch model where professionals do all the work. No, no, no. This is the Ephesians 4 model. All the members joining in for the functioning of the body. And I want to say this because it matters with the telling of the gospel. There's a direct link here. The 90-10 rule should never exist in churches. The 90-10 rule is 90% of the work is done by 10% of the people. That should never exist in the church because here is one of the reasons. When that happens, those who have the function of telling, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, if they're trying to fulfill their calling plus a calling that others should be doing, then that means it all suffers. That means they can't give the time and attention, attention and effort and taking walks and dreaming about starting new uh, ministries and such. They can't give attention to that kind of thing if they are always the ones mowing the grass, cleaning the building, pulling weeds in the parking lot, cleaning out the fridge and going through all of these kinds of things. If you understand that the good news workers are always the same ones engaging in that stuff. They're not able to be freed up for their energy and attention to be given to this. Burnout is a regular church thing. And it's, 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 it's something that should not exist. And so I, I just want to appeal to you. I want to say it in a, in a way that is winsome and gentle, but I do also want it to carry some steam. If you look at your last six months, and you don't see a significant way that you've been contributing to the, the, the growth and the building of the body, you do not understand that there's a way in which you're wronging brothers and sisters that have other callings that they should be freed up to go do, but they're having to do all kinds of other labor. We all need to be engaging in the work. And when the church is flourishing, the telling of the gospel happens in a remarkable way. Fourth, find a ministry, find a missionary and start financially giving. That's something that could be done even this week. Over time, increase that giving. And then fifth one, and this is another one that I'll lay some emphasis on when it comes to how you can begin even this week. And that is prepare. Prepare. In, in order to be able to explain the gospel to people, there is a certain amount of mental preparation that you need to engage in. So if somebody asks you right now, what must I do to be saved? Do you have an answer on your lips that you know that you could explain? What if it was not that easy because like that's, that's the king of the opportunities there. Somebody ask that, okay? What if somebody asks something harder? Like, I just, I don't even know what I believe. I, do you have something to give them? That takes study. That takes some preparation. That takes not only some, you know, some working knowledge of the Bible and maybe some verses you've jotted down, but some scenarios you've imagined in your mind of uh, here, here are some verses for this situation. If you are, again, if you are brand new to this and, and don't know where to even start, let me give you a list of verses, a list of verses for you to write down. Tuck them in your purse, your wallet, your Bible, highlight it on the Bible app on your phone, whatever, commit it to memory. Few verses for you to have for conversation's sake, okay? Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Acts 4, 12, there is salvation in no one else. 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Romans 10, 9 through 13, which is the passage we've looked at. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then even something as simple as John 3, 16. So I'll rattle them off real quick. Romans 3, 23, Romans 6, 23, Romans 5, 8, Acts 4, 12, Romans 10, 9 through 13, John 3, 16. There's others you can turn to, but that's a list. Now listen, this is not the end, but this is Christianity 101. Christianity 101 is know the gospel and be able to tell others the gospel. There's a whole lot more in the days to come that you need to prepare for and keep going. Uh, next, youth, you have friends. You talk about all kinds of really personal things. <laughs> Make this one of them. Bring up eternity. Parents, evangelism must become a lifestyle. It must become a lifestyle. Uh, you've got to start with the biblical truth that your children are not naturally okay with God. They are on their way to the torments of hell. This culture is doing everything but dragging them there. That has to stir a burden within you. Again, I'll, I'll talk some beginner stuff. If you're brand new, okay, and don't know where to begin, have never implemented this, let me tell you four things you can start even this week, even this week as a parent. Number one, start family Bible study. Over the years, this can develop to get deep and robust and talk about big things, but it can begin as simple as, hey guys, let's turn off the TV. I'm gonna read a chapter. And you read through the Gospel of John and then the book of Acts. You gotta go further than this, but it cannot be less than this. Number two, make attending church the priority that it would have if your children's souls are going to hell without Christ. And that is the case. Make church attendance the priority that everything else in life bows to and not the other way around. By the way, that, that concerns more than just the Lord's Day services. Number three, bring up subjects for conversation at the supper table. Dads, during the day, think of something to suggest at the supper table for conversation. Number four, read great books together, 10 minutes at a time. All of those can be started even this week. Next quickly, grandparents. If you have grandkids that are not attending church, you have a mission field. You have uh, a, a group that you can be ministering to. Be relentless. I've heard tons of testimonies of people who have said, when I was growing up, my parents didn't bring me to church, but my grandma did. And that's where they heard the gospel. Okay. Uh, if you have grandkids and they do, uh, they are not attending church. Okay. You, you might consider stopping other ministries in order to do this one. There's a level of responsibility here. Lastly, Christian, you know, there's just so many things, other practical applications that we could give. I'll just say two quick, two quick ones more. Never stop giving attention to preparation. Never stop giving attention to preparation of, of being ready with the gospel and to defend the scriptures. And then secondly, make it a regular prayer asking God for opportunities. God, today, give me an opportunity to have some meaningful conversation with someone. Christian, make your life consistent with the gospel that you confess. Make your life consistent with the reality that all roads but Christ lead to destruction. Tell the message. Find your way to participate in the greater work of making this known. And if you're here and you have never turned to Christ. We appeal to you, appeal to you, look to Christ, cry out to him. If you have questions that you need answers to, by all means, seek the answers. Just don't use it as an excuse to stall and stop doing something. This is your eternal soul. Turn to Christ. Let's pray. Our father in heaven, thank you for your mercy to us. God, we pray that we will go further. We will, as a body, implement more of these things that we have talked about today, that the telling, 
that comes out of this church, we pray that it will increase. We pray that the quality will increase. We pray that the quantity will increase. God, we pray that you will make this a church filled with tellers of the gospel. And I pray that those, those that you have gifted to be mouths, I pray, oh God, that you will empower and build and strengthen them up to greater ministry, oh Lord. Please, oh God, fill in the gaps where we're missing things. Please raise up workers for your harvest and send them out, oh God. Lord, we love you. And as we're getting ready to head on out to the baptism and fellowship, we pray your blessing on us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TrueVineIND. Or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.